The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Oh, come on. I always say it. I always mean it. We believe it's absolutely true. So what's the buzz? Interesting, interesting. I have a quote from an ADP report dated back in 2016. The report is titled, The Evolution of Work, The Changing Nature of the Global Workplace. Now, I want you to think about the word global. Very important to our topic. The report was written by a freelance writer named Jasmine. W. Gordon, very interesting lady, who writes about HR and employees in the workplace. Yes, I'm giving you more and more clues here. So here is the quote. 49% of employees feel that a future in which people will, quote, work from anywhere in the world, unquote, is now. So there's some urgency there. There are some insights there. There's some timely. Yes, it's happening. The future is here. So many of our Game Changers shows focus on the future, but really we know those of us who are, who've been around for a while, the future is right now as we're speaking. So let's talk about a reality check here. Your company cannot go global without being local. Think about it. It sounds like a conundrum or tautology, circular reasoning. No, no, no. You want to be around the world. You want to promote your products, your services. You want to hire people in local markets. You have to have a local quality to everything you do. So let's back this up and talk about HR. Specifically, what does this mean for today's CHRO? They've got so much pressure on them. Their role is expanding. They can't just sit there and send out some surveys and decide who gets hired and who gets fired and when the reviews are done, they have an increasingly important role in the boardroom, in the C-suite. So this means that HR needs to understand and comply with local and global cultures. That can be a lot to handle. Not just the culture, but practices, regulations, laws. This affects your global recruiting, your interviewing, your hiring, the pay, compensation, and what you're doing in the workplace. So while you're supporting a global globalized business, you need to have that local feel. It's a lot on the plate of the CHRO. So all I can say is, say what? This is still the job of that one person and their team? Yes, it is. This is part two of a show we did on our series, Changing the Game with HR Radio. It was presented on Thursday, March 2nd, and the topic was, and today will be part two of, HR Globalization and Localization 
more than meets the eye? And the answer is, heck yes. I have two of the three panelists. Well, actually, one is a newcomer to this particular topic, but she is the sponsor and very frequently featured speaker on that series, Changing the Game with HR, Dr. Patty Fletcher. You're all very familiar with her. And joining Patty is one of the original panelists from that show, Nicole Sahin. And let me just tell you who they are. Nicole is the CEO of Globalization Partners. And Patty, of course, is a leadership futurist at SAP Success Factors. So without rousing introduction, let me circle around the table to Nicole Sahin. And Nicole has sent us a wonderful opening quote from a gentleman named William Irwin Thompson. I had to look him up. He's known primarily as a social philosopher and cultural critic. He's also been writing and publishing poetry, and he received the Oslo International Poetry Festival Award back in 1986. He's been around for a while. Uh, he describes his writing and speaking as mind jazz, that's dash, mind dash jazz on ancient, ancient texts. So here is the quote Nicola selected from Mr. Thompson. Quote, for the first time in human evolution, the individual mind is now a constituent player in the global transformation of human culture. Nicole Sahin, welcome back. How have you been, Nicole? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, We're, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Delighted to have you. So how did you find this quote? Are you a fan or a follower of this gentleman who is, he's a big fan of storytelling as a part of the human ex existence? So tell me, how did you find William Irwin Thompson's quote, Nicole? Yeah, I am indeed a, a fan of his. I'm a big poetry fan, but also I just love the, the idea. First of all, in terms of storytelling, um, I think that storytelling is one of the ways that stories and, and learning stick to our minds, and they're the best way for us to learn from each other. Uh, and the reason, you know, the reason I, what I like about this quote so much um, is that it's so true that now with what we're doing in our businesses and our lives and even this social media, we're literally impacting the entire world every time we anything publicly. Uh, and the, the world stage has gotten so much smaller, but there's so much diversity in it. And the idea that anyone can have an impact on people, you know, literally across the world is just so extraordinary. And I think a hallmark of our time. Very much so. I'm, I'm very intrigued with the part of the quote, Nicole, where he says, um, constituent player in global transformation of human culture. There's so much to wrap your mind around in this quote. But how does this impact HR? I'm talking about this. I think it's a great big challenge on the plate of, an, of a CHRO and their team in any company that aspires to be global or finds themselves global because people are buying from them all over the world. What would he say about HR's role? Well, I think, I think as HR professionals that we have the, one of the greatest opportunities to be ambassadors of our culture and to integrate other cultures into our home territories. Because what HR is ultimately is people, and we all want to have a really high-functioning team. And in order for people to work together and understand each other, um, knowing some of the nuances in the way that they work is, and, and, you know, kind of what makes people tick is, I think, key to being able to understand and manage and, and have the results that you want uh, within your team. So for me, um, I think HR has an extraordinary opportunity ahead of itself as a field to really play a key role in in uh, cross-cultural communication and us learning more about each other and ultimately recognizing a lot of what makes us similar and, and also some of the things that, that make us different and unique. 
Thank you, Nicole. Very interesting insights. We are looking at a world that is increasingly global, we know, and yet there is a local populist flavor. I'm not going to get into politics, no worry to our listeners, but it's interesting that companies that want to sell their products, their services, or just bring in global talent are faced with accepting the globalization and the cross-cultural requirements of talking to people and hiring them and interviewing them. So a lot of great information coming up from Nicole and as well as our second guest, Dr. Patty Fletcher. Thank you, Nicole. And Patty has sent me a very, 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 very long quote from Carl Sagan. (laughs) Patty, you want me to read the whole thing or just just the part that applies to the topic? I'm going to talk about who Carl Sagan is, but Patty, I could read the whole passage if you'd like. What's your pleasure? Um, no, read the, read the part you highlighted. Okay, so Carl Edward Sagan, 1934 to 1996, he passed away very young. What was it, uh, 62, oh my, he was an American astronomer, a cosmologist, astrophysicist, astrobiologist, author, science popularizer, science communicator, never heard that one in astronomy and other sciences. If his name sounds familiar, okay, he narrated and co-wrote the award-winning 1980s TV series Cosmos, A Personal Voyage, which was the most widely watched TV series in the history of American public television, viewed by at least 500 million people across 60 countries. I don't know if you knew that, Patty, but he was a major force and innovator in bringing science to the masses. So here's the quote. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. What a great quote. Patty, how have you been? You're a traveler. Are you ever sitting still? I think you're in Boston today. What, for 12 minutes? Talk to me. Pretty much, yeah. Nicole and I were talking on the way I just saw Nicole and an amazing panel that that relates to the topic we're going to talk about today, but I've only been home about eight days this year, um, so it's, it's a welcome change to be home, and I'm, I'm home for the next four weeks, so I'm, I'm very, very excited. I'm excited to have you home in the Boston area, so Patty, tell me about this quote. Are you a big follower? I, Do you remember I Cosmos? Love, yes, yes, and you know, I, I remember watching Nova, and and I reconnected with him because I love Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is what um, was mentored by him and has, you know, kind of taken on the next generation of reaching the masses. And the thing about this topic I love, I spend a lot of time working with executives to change the world, right? And so much heat is put on topics that, quite frankly, don't matter. And when this topic, um, when this quote came out, it was, it was part of a uh, book about the, the pale blue dot. And when you're looking at the Earth from um, one of the, the telescopes that is in space, you see all these incredible planets and stars. And off in the distance, in the book, um, um, that Sagan wrote, you see this literally this pale blue dot, and he circles it and says, that's Earth. And here we are <laughs> waging wars, and over, sometimes when you take a step back, you go, really? Right? And, and everything has all the same heat, and we take things very, very seriously, whether it's business or it's society or all those things, and we should. But the truth is, we're but a speck. And instead of diminishing the stuff that we all care about and spend our time on, instead it should put us in perspective. Because not only are we just a speck 
is part of the bigger universe, but also the amount of time we're spending on that spec is truly, you can't even measure it right in the big scope of things. And I absolutely love that topic. And the, the thing is, what we're talking about today impacts everybody on that pale blue dot. We're in this together, whether we like it or not, and we're so far away from, from other planets. So we may as well figure out, to Nicole's point, areas of convergence, right, those common ground things, but then maybe moving past acceptance and, and that word tolerance when it comes to area of divergence and think about how we can start changing our mindset to embrace those areas of divergence because that, of course, is where innovation comes in, which then comes to economy, which is really what we're all concerned with. That's right. And Patty, I have a question for you, and I'll pose this to Nicole as well in a moment. Do you think that any company that decides, wow, people want our products all over the world and maybe we need an on-the-ground local workforce, do you think they're shocked when they run into all of this? I'll just use the old-fashioned term red tape, the bureaucracy of it all, hiring locally and the rules and the laws and having to have legal advice in any particular country and understand you can offend, you can be on the opposite side of the, of the hiring laws. Do you think this is a shock or, or is this a topic that companies listening to us right now, our, our audience you know is all over the world, very global. Do you mm-hmm. think people are saying, yeah, yeah, we run into that. Yeah, we know. Maybe we won't get somebody. We won't put an office in Sri Lanka or in, I don't know, some remote part of the Swiss Alps. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Yeah. Is this a shock or is this a, yeah, we know. What's, for, for what's HR, your thought? For HR in global organizations, not so much, right? Because they live in, live and breathe compliance. And the truth is, up until pretty recently, when they were setting up shops somewhere, sometimes it was okay just to pay the fine. But now, and I think Nicole can talk to this far better than I can, sometimes they'll shut you down, right? So there there are folks where in certain parts of the world, it's getting taken far more seriously because it's impacting their ability to do business in multiple ways, financially, but also from a brand perspective. And I have yet to meet a global CHRO that does not wake up in the morning thinking about and go to bed at night worrying about compliance at the local level, both to best practices and regulatory um, laws. Thank you, Nicole. Love to get your thoughts on this. Are they worried? Are they concerned? Are they annoyed? Are they overwhelmed? Are they saying, nah, we don't really need to be global? What, what do you observe? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question, Bonnie, because I think I think that I don't think that companies have the option of saying that they're not going to be global anymore, and and that's primarily on the basis of um, you know investors and companies, whether whether it's venture investors or private equity investors, or um, even in also public companies, of course. The idea, especially in in high growth or tech companies, is that if you have a good idea, you better get overseas with it quick and do a land grab because the market is not. It's no longer just the American population. I mean, there's only, I don't know what the current population of the U.S. is here, but maybe if it's 350 million people, we're on a planet with 7 or 8 billion people. So the idea that, you know, you better capture the U.K. and you better capture all of Europe and you better capture China and Japan um, is very much at the forefront of people's minds. And they want to get overseas to protect their IP and also take advantage of the huge opportunity that's available. And investors won't take the excuse of... You know, we don't want to do this. Um, so by and large, I'd say almost every company with professional investors is, is going international at this point. But yeah, like Patty said, I mean, every client that we speak with are, I mean, I think it's terrifying, actually, to try to figure out how to manage compliance in so many different countries. Um, 
I'd say money laundering laws are, are really mm-hmm. concerning. Um, EU data compliance. So they're, they're publishing laws that as of May 2018, yeah. 10% of a company's global revenues will be uh, at risk as a penalty if a company accidentally loses employee, employee payroll data, you know, if there's any breach of, of payroll data. So this type of thing really keeps people up at night. I think also that the changes in regulations around 2005 where um, directors of companies became personally and legally personally responsible and criminally liable to make sure that people were treated fairly, especially in, re- in regards to 401k plans and pension obligations and that type of thing. You know, it's one thing, like Patty said, you know, in old days you could just say, oh, well, it's a fine, and we're willing to accept that as a cost of doing business. But when, when it's the threat that your CEO will be in jail when he ca- uh, crosses the European border, that's a, that's a whole other playing field. So I think people are really very concerned about compliance. Very interesting. It's something you can't escape. Are companies hiring a global slash local compliance officer just to keep on top of this, Nicole? Are you seeing this being a, a new position in, in underneath the, the purview of the CHRO? No, I think I think I think that would be a good way to handle it, but unfortunately nobody seems to have the training to handle very few companies seem to have very few few people can handle all the different areas of compliance. So it's usually um, the people that we hire in our organization are usually people with a finance as well as HR and legal background because really it crosses the compliance crosses so many domains. It crosses legal, HR, finance, and tax. And so any one person is very rarely trained in all of those things. And usually international expansion is just something that you kind of learn as you go. And there's very few people who have studied it from a tactical, get things done, business and legal perspective. Um, at our company, you know, we've created a, a legal platform that helps el- helps companies hire internationally while eliminating the need to navigate so many legal, legal issues. Um, mm-hmm. And what we normally do is we hire relatively junior people uh, with a great skill set and a great aptitude who just want to soak up knowledge because we know we can't train people to do business in 150 countries. So we're going to have to basically train them from the ground up. There you go. And that's, I'm sure, very appreciated. Yes, Patty, go ahead. If I can just add to the complexity um, that Nicole is talking about and that globalization is um, globalization partners are are helping to alleviate in other organizations, right? SAP and, and the other kind of technology organizations. Last year alone, there were over 1,700 legal changes in 170 different countries around the globe. Over Mm. 1,700. Think about how hard that is to absorb when you are a global organization. It is incredibly difficult. And as Nicole said, more and more, these legal change patches have implications where your director and officer insurance are no longer covering the officers of your your organizations, right? And when you start to take money out of people's pockets or threaten them with jail time, they start to take it very, very seriously. But it's very, very hard for companies to absorb that kind of change and still do business. It's incredibly difficult, which is why the role of business in local tax trade um, workforce kind of um, policy decisions is, is such a heavy investment for so many organizations because of the impact to their business and absorbing it while still meeting their customer expectations. Incredibly difficult stuff. It sounds like they need shoes with taps on them, Patty and Nicole, to tap dance. (laughs) 
because it's just, or they they need to get a limbo stick and learn how to just get underneath it and dance their way through it. It could be could be a nightmare with the fire all around. Ladies, it's time for us to get a little up close and personal with each of you. I think you're both in Boston. Rumor has it there's a wall between you and you're separated by about five feet of physical space. And thank you very much for not being in the same room and avoiding all those echoes. So Nicole, uh, tell us. I, I know you're in Boston, so tell me what are you drinking right now that powers the Nicole, or, or wh- what is it that you would rather be drinking that really puts a smile on your face, Nicole? Well, Bonnie, I'll be really honest right now. I'm just drinking a cup of black coffee, but what I'm eating that puts a smile on my face is dark chocolate. And uh, I always have a, a little bar that I've snuck away in, in the corner of my desk, which seems to disappear every few days and then magically get replaced in case of emergencies. So, chocolate, even though it's the morning. Are you the disappearer and the replacement person? I am, and I'm in denial about it and how quickly it needs to be replaced. But I can tell. Well, Nicole, that's just our little secret. There's nobody else, just you and me and Patty and maybe Kevin, our engineer. Is, is But you know what? The people listening all over the world now know that you're a chocolate hider, a dark chocolate. Wow, I agree. Uh, if I don't have some nearby, I, I go into withdrawal. I'm sorry. It's, it's like, really, what can I do to create chocolate at 2 in the morning when I'm still Worker, or when I don't want to go to sleep, especially on a weekend, I it just there's that comfort level, isn't it? It releases so many good good feelings in you, doesn't it? Nicole gives gives you exactly. that oomph. Yes, exactly. Okay, all right. We learned a lot about you and Patty Fletcher. Uh, in, let me ask you, Patty, a little different question. In your travels around the globe, as you mentioned, you've been home for wow, eight days and four weeks coming up. My goodness, I bet your family is thrilled. So, Patty, did you discover any new beverages around the world in your latest tour de force? <laughs> Well, you know, I, it's, it, to me, it's new. Um, to the rest of the world, it's old news. And that is, I love sparkling wine, champagne. I love champagne. I love Louis Clicquot. It's, it's, you know, very brand aligned. Um, I love them. And then I was introduced to Prosecco a few years ago. This past year, a few months ago, when I was in Barcelona, I was introduced to Cava. And yeah, I'm probably late to the game, but I'll tell you, it is the and I will be having mm-hmm. some later on today. Thankfully for for all of us on the phone and those of us not, because it's eleven, almost eleven thirty in the morning here in Boston. I won't partake until a little bit later. Five oh and a half my! Hours, actually, yeah, t- yeah, tell me yeah. how you how do you spell that, Patty? How do you spell that drink? C A V A. C A V A. I want to know more about this. Let's see. It's Kava official way. site. Okay, well, there's a restaurant, there's a Cava Mezza, there's a La Cava wine bar. I'm going to have to, oh, here it is, Bold Flavors for Balanced Lives. Aha, okay, mm-hmm. yes, official site. Okay, it's a, it's a design site as well. I got it, I got it. Cava Spanish wine, here we go. It's a sparkling wine of Denomination de Origine. Status from Catalonia, also produced in other regions of Spain. It may be white, blanc, or rosé, rosat. The Macabre, Paralada, and Exelo are the most popular and traditional grape varieties for producing cava. Very, very interesting. Only wines produced in the Chapinois traditional method may be labeled cava. Patty, thank you for that. I don't think in 
five and a half years and probably 4,000 guests and over 1,000 shows. I think this is the first time, and I challenge any of our previous guests to, to, to challenge me on that. <laughs> and I'm looking at a glass of white kava, and it looks divine. But as you say, it's early. And by the way, I'm here in New York on Long Island, and the sun is shining. Will you? I don't think we're going to get any more big storms this week. Hope not. But you know, ladies, I'm only drinking water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw in celebration of the beautiful greenery and the sun shining and the almost blue sky, and they do not let me near caffeine. Patty, I made a terrible mistake at 11 o'clock. I wasn't tired and I wanted to work a little longer and I made myself a cup of full-strength Nespresso at around 11.30 last night. Oh, Bonnie. Hmm. Yeah, I was emailing colleagues at 2.08, and they're saying, what? I said, yeah, I can't sleep. I think it was 4 o'clock before my eyes even decided they wanted to close for a second. So, yes, I paid the price, but here we are. So, we are talking about a very, very, very important topic that affects everybody. I think Nicole Sahin just said a few minutes ago, there's no company that can't be global today. Come on, the world, you want them to buy from you. And that means once in a while, you may want to come up with a merger and acquisition of a local company or you want to start an office on the ground or you need somebody to help with your marketing and you want to bring them on board with your sales in a local capacity and you're global. So localization meets globalization, HR standing right in the middle of all of that effort. What does it mean for today's CHROs? A lot of interesting challenges. I think we'll just leave that on a neutral level before we go to break. So a lot more from our two experts today, Nicole Sahin at Globalization Partners, the CEO and Patty Fletcher, Dr. Patty. I'm going to call you Dr. Patty. I like that. At SAP Success Factors, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. So much more from these experts. We'll be right back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are talking to Nicole Sahin at Globalization Partners and Dr. Patty Fletcher. And Patty's going to tell us later in the show about her new book coming out. Can't wait to hear about that. Yes, we'll do a little little introduction there and whet everybody's appetite. And we're talking about globalization, localization, how HR needs to be involved, and no company can avoid this. It's the truth. Business cannot be global without being local. If this is a new topic to you, oh my, got to get your arms around this one. Nicole Sahina sent me some very interesting topics for this part too. We did discuss this in part one a couple of months ago in March on Patty's series, Changing the Game with HR. So Nicole wants to talk about how to build a culture from headquarters. And Nicole, I guess the perspective is wherever your headquarters is that spans the globe. And Nicole's comment is, it's really hard. Nicole, why don't you tell us more? Take about two and a half minutes, and then we'll see what Patty has to say on this topic. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is something our clients ask us about quite quite often and something that we deal with internally, which is how do you interact with people across the globe and build a culture and a team vibe that everybody wants to engage with and be a part of? And it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, of not only managing a remote workforce in the United States, as you mentioned earlier, you know, half the people work from home half the time now. Um, mm-hmm. So even with that, but, but spread that across miles and geographies and boundaries and people who are working in totally different countries. So even though we think in the United States that it's fairly normal to work from home, in a lot of countries, that's highly unusual. So India, for example, families live in much tighter quarters, even a family you know, very um, well-educated and and, uh, high socioeconomic status would typically be living in a much smaller living space um, with with multiple generations of a family. So a person would be unlikely to have their own home office in a place like that. And I think understanding, uh, you know, what's normal in a different country is key to being able to build a a virtual workforce that that, uh, interacts in each place. But um, more people are working remotely because companies are hiring wherever they find talent or they want to sell into those markets rather than just sticking with their home territories. And um, one thing that we've we've found extremely helpful here at Globalization Partners is to use video conferencing just relentlessly. And as the CEO, I have to insist that my team use it almost all the time. The reason I insist that everybody uses video conferencing is, is a few different reasons. The first is that... I really think that people uh, people interact better and they, they when they see your face and they understand so much more of what you're trying to tell them when they connect with you as a human being, but also they understand what you're saying. So 53% of communication is nonverbal in a, in a general interaction, a face-to-face interaction. So if you don't use video conferencing, you've lost 53% of what you were trying to say to another person. They've missed, They've potentially misunderstood up to 53%. Add that across time zones, different cultures, and also somebody who's not using English as their primary language, and you probably get down to about 25%. So I think it's incredibly important that video conferencing allows us to see people, identify with the, with the pe- person that they're speaking with, but also use things like lip reading and facial gestures and to really understand um, what people across borders are really trying to communicate. Thank you. I think the word I want to introduce here, Nicole, is context. 
because Mm -hmm. we know uh, texting and email, it's flat. You can put all the emojis you want and all the exclamation points. I have a a friend who puts an exclamation point after every single sentence in his (laughs) emails. It's like, what exactly was important there? If they all have exclamations, then they're all at the same level. Everything can't be important. Anyway, it's it's that visual, the emotional, the empathy, the context. You are so right. Patty, talk to us about spanning out from HQ, from headquarters, wherever that is around the globe. Patty, what is your thought about video conferencing as a tool for globalization on a local level? Yeah, I, I just want to introduce some, something as well, right? So it's, it's not only about having people feel included and be part of that esprit de corps, right? That thing that holds us all together in an organization's culture, knowing that we all bring a personal culture into play regardless of where we are, if we're within the same brick building or somewhere else. The other piece of that is contingent. Um, 40% of the workforce today is contingent. That's going to continue to grow to become the majority of the workforce in a pretty short amount of time. And those folks are free agents, essentially, right? So there's that, that, but they're part of the workforce. They're representing you with customers. They're representing you on radio shows. They're representing you in, in so many different ways. And so how do we connect with them? And I love the video conferencing. Come on, I think that's fantastic. The challenge is scaling that. So for a smaller mm-hmm. company, that, that works. Um, for a mid-sized company, it starts to get challenging. For a large yeah. company, it's incredibly hard. And so what we're seeing things are like polling, right? Constantly doing kind of pulse checks during live interactions, being able to post questions for people who might feel uncomfortable talking to a large crowd on a video, being able to type in a question is um, is really conducive to folks who might be a little bit more introverted or come from a culture where Speaking up during um, during a presentation is not um, you know doesn't feel good right it's, it's, it doesn't feel good with with the culture so I think that's important I, what I love about what Nicole has talked about and whether we're using Calcheck is one it's so funny we hear about um, we hear about how technology is killing us right it's it's getting mm-hmm. rid of the the human thing but what you just talked about Nicole and as I'm thinking about this uh, out loud unfortunately on the radio show sorry about that Bonnie is when it comes to <laughs> that's what we do Patty <laughs> that's right <laughs> building the plane as we fly it is that you're talking about the use of technology to enable human contact versus take away from it. And and it really, you know, coming back to the CHRO, we forget about the word human and human resources. We forget about the fact that human resources is everyone's job, not just a functional role, but everybody's job. So anything we can do to scale that communication, two-way communication, not just me with a megaphone as a leader, but, you know, listening as well and being able to get those values and what the priorities are because we all want to feel included. We all want to know what the impact is of the work directly on the objectives. And having that two-way communication, however you can do it, is critical. But it's important to do more than talk about it, but to follow leaders like Nicole, like so many of the leaders um, Bonnie, that you and I see from an enterprise software perspective across mm-hmm. the industry as well as many other industries and how they're using tech to stay connected. 
Thank you, Patty. There's a lot of optimism in what you said. And yes, we do build a plane while we're climbing on it. That's, <laughs> that's the whole conversational approach to Game Changers Radio. We're thinking out loud. We're trusting each other. One thing, Nicole, I regret that we are not on a video conference because it would be really nice to see the, your, your smile and Patty's and see the energy. But of course, I hear it and that's radio is radio right now. So, Nicole, Sahin, any comments on what Patty added before I move on to uh, one or two topics from Patty's list. Go ahead, Nicole. Well, I love what Patty said about human resources is everyone's job. Um, and also that listening has to go in both directions. So one thing that we see a lot of times from our, from our clients' employees on, in the field in a place like Japan or um, Asia where people, you know, it's much more of a hierarchical structure. So in the U.S., yeah. you know, we, we, first of all, I agree totally with Patty that human resources is everyone's job. Uh, and I love the idea of your whole, everyone in the company being an advocate of, of better communication within, within one team. But what, what I found also is that in places with a more strict hierarchical type of culture, um, a lot of times employees are looking for an intermediary. And sometimes the focus is on listening instead of on speaking. So American communication style is very much that it's the, the speaker's responsibility to make themselves clear and easy to understand. And in a lot of Asian countries, and, and in fact, I guess America is one of the most direct communication countries. Uh, so in a lot of countries, the focus is really much more on the listener to understand what someone is saying without forcing them to be so direct, because to be so direct would be so, so impolite. And so mm-hmm. what I found is that a lot of times we have to listen more clearly, more carefully to our employees in other countries to see what, what are they really saying Because if we don't listen, since we're so used to people speaking so directly to us, if we don't listen carefully, we miss the nuance of of what they're saying. Yep, I think that's the nuance. That's that's the context. That's the emotional part. Patty, thoughts? Uh, uh, Sorry, I just I just kind of I love what you just said, and it reminds me of a a trend that we're seeing in HR, particularly around like the services HR provides. But now I'm thinking about it thanks to to what Nicole just said. When it comes to communication, we tend to have a one-size-fits-all, right? And it's usually directed from the West, whether it's in Europe or, or in the U.S. And the truth is, you know, we, we started with Hofstetter, right, and, and all his work around, you know, here's, here's what the typical U.S. person is like, here's what someone in Germany is like, here's what someone in Japan is like, and really understanding that the way we communicate is different. And we're, depending on where we are, and what we do, right, and who we are. And so I think it's really important for companies to experiment when they have a global workforce, knowing one size does not fit all, and yet having to have economies of scale and knowing we have to run our business and people need the information that we need. And there are so many amazing technologies coming out. Gosh, I see people using, executives using Snapchat, for crying out loud, to be in touch with, you know, 500 people from their organizations. So it's a matter of, of taking an entrepreneurial view around communication in the, the globalized talent economy, I think is fascinating, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you. And Patty, I want to move to uh, your favorite word today is diversity. The other word is inclusion. I know we talk about this very often on your Changing the Game with HR series. So let me pull up a couple of notes here and let's see what you have to say. You say, with the geopolitical trends we're seeing in full force around the world, we're seeing a mainstream focus on diversity come center stage. And then you add, you can't think of one strategy meeting you've attended recently that has not included a 
discussion around diversity. So, Patty, let's put this in the context. When you globalize and you localize as part of this, the two do go together, love and marriage, horse and carriage. Thank you, Frank Sinatra. But when you do that, you have diversity is there. It's it's just there, isn't it? You can't avoid it. Diversity comes with that globalization slash localization. Am I right? Yes. Yes, you you can't ignore it, and and you know it's really interesting. I was at a um, I joined in a kind of future of work um, summit a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the fourth industrial revolution that the World Economic Forum brought. Um, I think in 2016, and one of the, the things that's cited there is that half the names on the Fortune 500 list from 2000 um, no longer exist. Mm-hmm. And they were organizations that weren't able to get in front of trends around technology and digitalization, but also trends around diversity and inclusion, right? And being able to harness all the best and available talent. The challenge that we have is we're facing, and, and there's been some incredible work coming out of some of the boutique firms like um, like the Boston Consulting Group um, in particular, around let's think about globalization and really what it is. We came at globalization from a, okay, so politicians are going to shape policy and they're going to, they're going to go take care of the human things like do people have insurance and, you know, maternity leave and they're going to create those rules and and that's wonderful. And then businesses, they're going to go be all about profit and making money and creating innovation that can be sold, right? And both have economic um, mindsets. But the, the line in the sand hasn't quite happened, right? And that's why, you know, you, you said you wouldn't talk politics and we're not going to. But really, mm-hmm. one of the things that keeps coming up is this isn't about politics. This is about economy. And when you're studying economics, it's about the loss of money, right? That's, that's kind of what we're all looking at. And so when we see that there are nearly 8 billion or over 8 billion people in the workforce and I'm sorry, 8 billion people on the earth and let's just, I don't remember how what percentage of them are in the workforce and we see that that those workforce numbers are incredibly diverse. In the U.S. alone, by 2045, there'll be no master race. We know that in most economies, 50% of the workforce are women, right? We all know the five generations of work at once. So if we have this antiquated view around how do we expand globally? Because, Nicole, I I think you have a a very um, strong perspective on the role of expats um, when it comes to to global, right? The the Western hero coming in and, and, you know, Saving the, the emerging economies is, is quite an antiquated view, but yet one that, that's been used and is not proven successful from a sustainable perspective. So it's what exactly is globalization? What is the role of business? Where does that intersect with local as well as global and national politics? That's incredibly important. And it's become one of those areas where companies are really investing in because every change from a policy perspective impacts their ability to do business. Super important. And that's one of those things is around talent. Lots of folks talk about the talent shortage. They talk about it not only here, but across the globe. Japan, for example, loses more members of its workforce than it gains. They're having a a real crisis in Japan. And so when we're looking at diversity and inclusion, it's finally come to the forefront because people are desperate. There are multiple factors contributing. I don't necessarily agree the shortage is as big as everybody thinks it is. I think we still have an antiquated kind of recruitment and and, um, retention um, approaches that fit a a more, a less globalized world. 
The other challenge around that's coming up in these conversations around diversity and inclusion is the understanding of the big changes, right? The people are speaking, again, particularly in the Western world and not just in the U.S., but in Europe. They're speaking, the people are speaking the loudest are the ones who have felt left behind. And so when we're looking at diversity and inclusion, knowing that people feel left behind, knowing that people are putting their money where their mouth and their hearts and minds are, diversity and inclusion isn't only about the workforce to make sure I do productivity. It's about who I'm employing to ensure that my brand is aligned with the people I want to do business with, whether it's consumer or business. So it's what I really like is that it's not this... Less dynamic view around diversity and inclusion and so, you know, philanthropic causes and blah, blah, blah. But there's much more complexity around this topic and all the different types of people, constituents, employees, customers, partners, um, in, in all the variations in there. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And the truth is, I'm not sure we really know what this topic really needs to look like yet. I think we're scratching the surface as we, as we redefine what globalization means, as we redefine the role of business, as we redefine things like, will multinationals even exist in 20 more years, considering half of them are gone from, from less than 20 years ago? Very interesting stuff. You covered a lot, Patty. Nicole, anything that in what Patty covered, uh, globalization and the role of, well, we're not talking politics, but how global and national and local fits into geopolitical landscape. Anything you want to comment on, Nicole? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love what Patty says about um, being able to live one's values through his or her work. And it's certainly something that everybody has become so much more conscious of in the last I don't know, decade or two in the United States. Um, and, and we certainly are making so many efforts to be more inclusive in our workforce. And some of that has come out of, you know, just the, the, the laws around diversity and inclusion. But a lot of it also has come out of, um, and it, it's not a political matter, but out of the, the results of the last election, which is clearly that people feel that, you know, it's like the coasts are more global and the middle parts of the country people want to be more included in the socioeconomic and like Patty said it's not it's not political it's it's economic when you really look at the heart of it and so I think what a lot of um, companies and entrepreneurs at least in the Boston area um, that I know and work with are, are saying okay not only globally how do we take our business global but but how do we live our ethics in the United States and also if there's good people in the United States who want to do work you know who are obviously talented and skilled I guess I'm seeing less outsourcing of jobs and more of a invest in the Midwest type of mentality where people are really considering, well, how can we engage more people in our home communities? And I think that when Patty talks about redefining globalization, it's really just how to be inclusive of everyone, regardless of which jurisdiction they're in. Thank you, Nicole. I, w- I want to go to another topic. We have, oh, about five minutes before we go to our predictions. My, it moves fast, doesn't it, when we're having fun. So, Nicole, I know in part one when we were on Patty's series, Changing the Game with HR, part one in March, you talked about how to go about doing all this. But I want to go over here uh, a couple of notes from your part two notes. You say, when hiring, don't hire the person who speaks English the best. And that's part one I want you to quickly cover. And then managing a workforce across borders requires dedicated and regular communication. You can't, quote, set it and forget it, unquote. So can you touch on both of these quickly for us, Nicole, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can't set it and forget it. I mean, I think that 
I think the idea is, you know, we're so anxious around how do we hire our first person in Asia? You know, we obviously need feet on the ground there. So how do we go about doing that? Um, and I think that it just, re- I think that, yes, you need to hire that person, but, but plan to regularly check in with your international employees and that usually they require a lot of coaching and feedback because, you know, in the United States, we have the, the cultural idea that, you know, we know what we want from a salesperson and they kind of go out and beat down doors and, and they know what is expected of them. Well, they know what they're, what's expected because they're part of our own business culture. Um, but in a lot of countries, again, more hierarchical, the United States has gone through this, you know, flat hierarchy phase in the last uh, decade or so that, you know, that, that hasn't necessarily translated everywhere. And most places are, are more hierarchical. And therefore, people are looking for more management and coaching, and they want to know what's going on at headquarters. So, again, back to the video conferencing, I really believe that it's important for and foreign team members to have uh, regular weekly contact via via video conferencing and check-in points with their headquarters team and to really make them feel inclusive and part of what's going on with the company so that they're just not out there beating down paths that, that maybe go off in a different direction. Um, I think you also mentioned about um, models that don't, don't hire the work. Don't okay. hire the person who speaks English the best. Yeah, that's ah, very yes, interesting. You. No, it's okay. okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so I guess uh, you know other tips from our clients when they've hired people internationally is that they 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 tend to hire the person who speaks English the best because that is the person who appears most polished to an American interviewer. It's like, wow, this person really has their act together. They're able to communicate clearly with me. You know, these are the same things that we look for in America when we when we interview somebody who's going to interact with our clients and represent our company. However, what has been found is that um, most most of the time are not is that the person who speaks English the best and is most polished at speaking English, that doesn't necessarily translate to mean that they're, they're the most competent person to manage the product line going into whatever their home country is. So just because they're great and polished at communicating with you doesn't mean that they have the right skill set to work and operate in their home country. And in fact, in um, Shanghai has gone through a huge boom, which everybody knows about uh, in the last decade or two. And there's actually... Our local team members there have told us that there are people who are so good at speaking English that they'll just go out and get two or three jobs at a time. And typically, they're sales jobs. These people are making salaries. They always win when it's a recruiting pitch against them versus somebody who doesn't speak English as well, even though the local Chinese person might just be the perfect candidate. They're not, they don't seem as polished. So there's literally people who speak English so well, they can pick up a few employment contracts. And because there's not a lot of oversight, it takes time for the foreign employers to figure out what's going on or that the person's not working out. Very interesting. Patty, I want to get your thoughts on this. Just one minute, Patty, because I want to go back to Nicole and give her 90 seconds for predictions. Patty, thoughts about don't necessarily hire the person in, an, in a cross-border border workforce who speaks the best English. What do you think? I love that. What that, I think is like kind of raising it up a little bit. Um, looking back at, we're all victims of the system that we live in. We've been looking at the wrong data points, Nicole, is what I'm hearing you say. And I find that fascinating. Since when does the internal data point of that person speaks my language in Acts 
the way I act. And therefore, they're going to go serve that local market in a way that represents the brand does not make any sense at all because the truth is it's about the customer, right? It's not internal. And just one little factoid, I realize that this is another English-speaking country, but this example has always stuck out in my head. The importance of this is I remember when I was in grad school many, many years ago when we studied this whole phenomenon around the Ford Motor Company in the UK. There was a time for many decades where if you ask the average um, British person where Ford was headquartered, they would have said the UK. They believed Ford was an English company. And I thought that that was fantastic, right? Because it felt like theirs. It felt their brand ambassadors really, like the executives, the workers, all this stuff, they really spoke the language of the people versus being these, this American company coming overseas. That's valuable. That's huge. And it can't be underestimated. And I think the whole point is question if your data points are relevant, because in the new world, they might not be. Thank you, Patty. Nicole, I saved. Let's look at the clock here. I have 90 seconds, a whole whopping 90 seconds for your prediction. Nicole, let's look ahead to, well, I'm kind of keen on 2020 these days. Thank you, Barbara Walters. 2020 seared in our brains forever. What do you think will be different about this conversation about globalization, localization, the role of HR, doing it all? What do you think? Predictions? Six, let's give you 90 seconds still. I'm looking at the clock. I'm using it up. I'm running the clock, Nicole. Nicole, predictions go. Thank hmm. you. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that, you know, the question of can we go global or can we stay home is almost irrelevant now and it will become even more so by then that companies will be expanding everywhere quickly and fast. I think more models like the global PEO model where people can hire people globally without getting involved with all the legal infrastructure will be used much more. Um, and I think there's something that has to be said about it must be easier to access lawyers and accountants and, and that type of uh, advisor in different countries much more easily to make it easier to hire and navigate internationally. Um, I'd love to see some technology around easy recruiting, international management, um, and, and additional entrepreneurial ideas around making it a more global workforce. So and I think by 2020, there will be more of that in play. So it's an exciting idea to think about. And then really, it's not so far away, but that's a decade in, uh, in, in old years. So I think three years from now will be considerably different. <laughs> A decade in old years and 70 is the new 40. Let's try that again. Thank you. It's going faster than we want. Patty Fletcher, I saved, ooh, 90 seconds, just 90 seconds. Patty, go ahead. I think by 2020, um, we're going to see progress in the thought around what globalization actually is. Typically, globalization has been defined around money, right, around profits, around am I, am I successful today, which unfortunately in the West we have a very short-term view of, of CEO success, um, and then how do I sustain that success for longer periods of time? And I think what I'm seeing here is a redefinition around globalization, and I see companies taking a much bigger role in shaping what that looks like, trends around people, I think, are going to be huge. Trends around the entrepreneur as a business grower is huge. Um, and I see that that investment in the global talent economy. I think we're going to see some shifts there, especially with the, the, the increase of the gig workforce. And that's not just a millennial phenomenon. That is a women phenomenon as well. And how that's going to get grown where we have an almost central repository of talent from which we all can harness. So I think it's going to be interesting. And with all of that, 
I think technology is going to continue to play roles that we just don't quite understand yet. And I can't wait to see what three years from now is going to bring there. Thank you, Patty. I appreciate it. By that way, get kava ready because it's only three New Year's Eves from now, so you can put that special <laughs> bottle. Uh, Patty, our colleague at SAP, Brad Borkin, who works on the uh, Strategic Partner Marketing Team, and his series is The Future of the Future. Brad just had a birthday, and he wrote a book on the extreme challenges of the early Antarctic explorers. Great book. You wow. might enjoy it. It's, it's on Amazon. I've interviewed him on Game Changers, on my personal radio show, but somebody gave him a bottle of whiskey labeled Shackleton and Shackleton was one of those explorers so he put it on Facebook and said should I open it or save it because I was going to say 2020 is coming you can celebrate the explorers and Patty I have to do a quick preview um, number one tomorrow 2 p.m. Eastern we'll be back with you and Kevin McConville at EY and Nathan Ott at the GC Index on your series Changing the Game with HR and your topic is HR from one to many new focus on teams and that really could be an expansion of our topic today, globalization, localization. Patty, quick, what's the title of your new book? I have 30 seconds. It's titled Disruptor, Success Strategies for Women Who Redefine It, coming out from Entrepreneur Press in January. I'm very excited. We're, we are, too. We're going to talk about that tomorrow on your show. Nicole Sahin, such a pleasure. I know you're a busy lady, and thank you so much for giving Patty a place to call from. I know you loaned her a conference room, so we really appreciate it. And Patty Fletcher, of course, talk to you tomorrow. And I think we have a show, Designing the Future with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. So we'll be back 10 a.m., 2 p.m. Eastern Time, the Business Channel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. And here is my call to action. You know what it is already. Come on. Fasten your seatbelt. I hope it's a nice, comfortable seatbelt and it doesn't say why did you have that extra chocolate yesterday Nicole we know what you did what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like Nicole Sahin just like Dr. Patty Fletcher and hopefully just like me have a great one bye bye thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP the best run businesses run SAP to keep the Coffee Break conversation going tweet your questions and comments to Twitter Hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.